If you would turn in the word of the Lord to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I would remind you, and uh, we'll make final details on it next Sunday. On the 26th, um, we are theoretically going to have a celebration of the 75th year of SGA. Uh, Dr. Provost and several of the vice presidents of SGA will be here in town. And that Monday evening, we are all going to get together and celebrate the amazing things that God has done in the lands of Russia, in the former Soviet Union, and um, Albania, and a few other odds and ends. Uh, and uh, so, But it'll be a potluck, and I'll have more details for you next Sunday. But uh, that should be a wonderful time. We are looking at 2 Corinthians, the first 11 verses of chapter 1. Have a word of prayer and then we'll read this and uh, move into verse 4. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Father, and thank you for your comfort in times of affliction and trouble. And Father, uh, may we be overwhelmed at the amazing things you do almost moment by moment. And may our hearts become more grateful with every passing day. Father, as we look at this and we think about our brother Paul and where he was in his ministry, and Father, uh, the amazing tribulation he'd been through even to date of the writing of this letter. Father, may we bow before you understanding Understanding, Lord, that you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And that, Father, that comfort is promised even to us this day. Help us, Lord. Help us to hear you. Help us to see you. And help us to humbly bow before you to say, here I am, send me. May that be our hearts. May that be our joy. To you and you alone. Amen. Beginning at verse 1, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is in Corinth, and all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, or... If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death 
within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. You also joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. This is an amazing uh, letter because it's... I want you to think about this as if I have read this uh, letter many times. The letter itself is a revelation. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is God speaking. We call it God breathed or... Uh, it's one of the letters that made the canonization of Scripture. This is what God once said. So it's, it's revelatory, okay? Um, and, and, and that's amazing, too. We really need to grasp that at times because we have the Word of God, which is the Word of God. This isn't... Men were the instruments to pin it down, but it's what God wanted the men to write. I mean, Corinthians is perfect text for that because we have two other letters in the Corinthians that we don't have. All right, but we have these two. All right, and this second letter is this man of God, Paul, who was receiving direct revelation from God and he validated it in his life experience. Now, now, what does he say? There are things that you know about God that I guarantee you've never experienced. Correct? I mean, I have done an in-depth multi-year study of eschatology in the book of Revelations, and I've not experienced any of it. (laughs) But anyway, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? There are things that you have studied in the Word of God that you've never experienced. What the Apostle Paul is sharing with you here is revelatory in the sense that Paul understands what has been given to him, but it is also experience. And if you look at this, this is not a systematic text. This is not a theological text. This is not a a how-to text. This is a text of the heart of a true man of God who is sold out for Jesus Christ. And what he's telling you, he's not saying... I hope you feel better if I tell you this. He's saying, this is where I stand. Okay? We're looking at comfort and trouble. And it literally starts with verse 3. His greetings is 1 and 2. Verse 3 says, But blessed be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Okay? He starts out dealing with trouble doing what? Blessing God. Okay? The word blessing means to speak well of. He's speaking well of God. It's it's like uh, when Job's wife, after that horrific loss of family and possessions, and she says, why don't you just curse God and die? Later on in that letter, Job says, though he slay me, I will bless the Lord. Same word there, except it's in the Hebrew text. I will speak well of God, even if he 
slays me. Now, Job was going through some stuff. I don't care what anybody says. All right? But so was the Apostle Paul. So was the Apostle Paul. And it brings me to this because sometimes we'll look at affliction, afflictions, and suffering, afflictions, and suffering, and suffering, and suffering. And all the, the, but the text, the main word that you see repeated all the time is comfort. You know what the word is in the Greek? Periclesis. You know what that is. We've studied it. It's the word we get paraclete from. Running shoes. <laughs> no. Paracletes. <laughs> Paraclete. You know what that is? It's a term you spoke of the Holy Spirit. Paraclete. Paraclesis is, it literally means to come alongside and help. That's what comfort is. Okay? See, God is the God of all help. God is the God of all coming alongside and helping. Now, if everything's going well and I've got my job, my 401k, and I got my two weeks vacation and, you know, I'm going to get the Christmas holidays off and I don't, my job don't look shaky. I'm not working for General Motors or any of this other stuff. You know, I'm doing good. I'm happy. Really? He is the God of all comfort. And, and I, and I thought about this because there's where we get into trouble. When you think of comfort, what do you think of? Huh? One of them big, have you ever seen them beds like that are in the Hampton Inns and they got like 9,000 pillows? And, and they got this big pushy thing that you, you get on. You're like, oh, I think I'm sinking. Uh, and, and you just kind of kick back. Or maybe it's a great big stuffed recliner that you can kind of... Uh, maybe it's your favorite meal brings you great comfort. Or, you know, in some cases, and I'm not trying to get any guys in trouble, it's, it's a lack of honeydew list uh, is, brings great comfort and peace. Um, you, know, the, you know, maybe it is... The kids are gone out of the house. Okay? Maybe it's a, it's a big hammock on the porch on vacation. Okay? That ain't what the word means. Sorry. Okay? This word is connected to a Latin root fortes. Fortes. Um, and fortes in the Latin is literally brave. Okay? Um, this word here, the God of all comfort, has got nothing to do with ease. You know, kicking back, checking out the pillows. It's not about softness. It, 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 is, it doesn't even deal with a settled feeling. Its original uses, it's synonymous for courage. Um, bravery, strength. Um, he's not saying, God came to me in the middle of my trials and gave me a cushy life. What he's saying is, God came to me in the middle of my trouble, and he gave me strength. It's like, uh, 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Okay? Yours and I, my idea of comfort is go around the valley. But David said, no, you go through it. And thy rod and thy staff, they... They what? They give me strength, courage, and bravery in the midst of it. He came to me and gave me courage. He came to me and made me bold. See, now think about it from this perspective. God is the God of all comfort. God is the God of all strength. God is the God of all boldness. God is the God. Oh, he goes on and on and on and on. God is the ultimate source of every act of true comfort. And apart from God, there is no true comfort. Brothers and sisters, I see that rampant in the church today. We want comfort. Cushy, at ease, the hammock on the beach. And that ain't what God's promised. God's promised that no matter the situation, no matter the affliction, no matter the trial, no matter the trouble, no matter the heartache, no matter how bad it is, I'm there to strengthen you. All authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. And lo, I am with you most of the time. Even to the end of the age. In this life you will have hammocks on the beach. This man writing this letter has got a lot going on at the writing of this letter. His character has been assaulted. The church has been assaulted. Um, he has plenty of heartache. And, and it's amazing to me because when I look at today's church, if the character is assaulted, then the character probably has a problem. If the church is assaulted, then the church probably has a problem. And is that really true? Because i got to be honest with you today, most of the churches that I look at look just like the world. I don't see any difference in them, and therefore they are not having any problems. Most people today think a good church means that everybody's just kind of smiling and happy, and they're making a million dollars a year, and they all drive nice cars, and they all wear nice clothes, and they all get this, and they all do that. And If you're not doing that, then I don't know what you're doing. I think God's punishing you. I've literally had people tell me that this church would grow if I hadn't stayed so long. That's funny. Jesus said that the gates of hell can't stop it, but Terry can slow it down. (laughs) I don't understand some of this. I think about the Apostle Paul and all of his physical pain. I think about all the pain that he had on the inside. His heartache for the body of Christ. 
in, in all of it. I mean, stoned and whipped and beaten and threatened and shipwrecked. And then my daily concerns for the church. I mean, he had, he got run out of Thessalonica because they threatened to kill one of the saints unless he left. And he went 50 miles away and they found out he was preaching in Berea. <laughs> they went there and run him off. They said, get out of town. Now listen, that's a ministry. That would be on television. You could probably write a book about it. What are you doing everywhere you go? I mean, in the end of the book of Acts, I figured out my spiritual gift is similar to Paul's. Um, Agrippa brings him before, an appro- he's before Agrippa on trial, and, and depending on the translation, but the proconsul comes up and says, this man stirs up the people and causes affliction. Those are the charges against him. Stirring up trouble and causing affliction. I think I can do that. But it's stuff like that. You look at it and you think, what? Yeah. I mean, being thrown in prison for preaching Jesus. I mean, I think about the time when he's in the Philippian jail. He's in stocks. Do you understand what that is? Chained hand and foot. We're not talking, you know, lay down and get your little rest here, buddy. Okay, you're sitting upright with your hands and feet stuck in wooden, like, um, things that, that oxen would steer with, and you're chained to it. That ought to be comfortable, cozy. Can I have a pillow? And he decides he wants to him, and decides we're just saying. And all of a sudden, everything busts wide open. They sing praises to God. The stocks blow open. The jail doors blow open. And you know what is amazing about it? They don't leave. I'd have been gone like a rabbit. <laughs> Nobody ever found me. If I'd have went in and preached someplace and they stoned me and threw me out on a pile of manure, if I'd have come to, I'd have said, dust my feet off. I don't know part of that. You know what he did? Went back in and preached. Hmm. His heartache for the church. And yet in all of that, God made him brave, bold, courageous, strong. And that's what he's saying here. When he says, you know what? The father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And that first little phrase us who comforts us in our afflictions. Why? Because he understands this is God. I'm not doing this because I don't have anything to do. I'm not doing this because, you know, I tried to make it as a baker and just couldn't do it, so I think I'm going into the ministry. He didn't do it that way. You know what? When I grow up, I want to be a preacher. No, he didn't do it that way. See, Paul has taken the focus of Revelation. Now, I'm not talking about the book. I'm talking about God revealing. And he says, in this revelation, I've experienced what is revealed. You know what, brothers and sisters? That single thing to me that I have witnessed is what's killing the church today. Because we don't take what is revealed and look for its experience. 
Therefore, we go and do based on what we want to do. And when you do that, then you're doing it and Jesus is going, Amen, happy, happy, joy. But wait till you see what I do. And that's what the Apostle Paul's trying to get across to the Corinthians. That's what the Apostle Paul's trying to get across to you and me today. You have the information. My question, Paul is screaming from heaven, is do you trust it? You know, and it's easy to be sitting here this morning thinking, you know, I wish they'd have turned the heat on earlier or turned the heat off quicker. You know, the dinner is here in a few minutes, so we'll be all right. Yeah, I trust it. Really. I will gladly boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Did you hear what he just said? I will gladly boast in my weaknesses? I haven't heard that lately. I haven't heard that. I will boast in this. Why? Because in He wants you and me to understand that when I am weak, then I am strong. We have... Uh... See, Paul had learned that. Listen, Paul had a theological mind. Don't ever kid yourself. He had insights. I mean... That is, I'm talking about before his conversion. This guy's a Bible scholar. But he has to go spend three years out in the desert with Jesus to get the garbage cleaned out. See, Paul had learned. Paul had been troubled. Paul had been tried. Paul had been in pain. It's, it, if you really looked at Paul's ministry, most of his ministry I would compare it to a man walking in a fog. He didn't get to see what's happening. He just has to keep walking. Because if you look at his ministry, compare it to what is touted today as successful, and the two don't even get close. Paul suffered. He was in threat of his life. Verse 8, I don't want you to be unaware. We were burdened excessively beyond our strength. We despaired even of life. Now classify that. Now I'm going to go to a seminary and learn how to despair and be burdened in excess and fear for my life. Then I'll be ready for the mission field. I mean, that is stupid. I have never heard such. What is that? Yes, I have a class on being excessively burdened. I, I See, Paul in this fog of ministry, this fog of his life, he knew that God was using it to strengthen Paul, do you understand that? The accusations, the charges, the physical suffering, the heartache, 
All of his concern for the saints. Well, did the, did the Jews in Thessalonica kill Jason? Why has not the church in Corinth turned back? What has happened to the church in Ephesus? What about the guys in Galatia who have fallen into the Jesuizers and they're listening to them and, and falling back into legalism? See, he learned that God's strength was only perfected in man's weakness. When you can look at it and say, I have absolutely no ability to accomplish this. God says, perfect. You have no talent. You have no abilities. You have no education. You have no gifts. You have no tools. You have no method. You have no system. You've got nothing. You come naked, standing before a holy God, a depraved sinner saying, mercy. And you know what's amazing? That's how you entered into salvation. And now all of a sudden you think you can walk with him. How silly is that? That is absolutely silly. You had no ability whatsoever to save yourself, but now you're going to make yourself holy. Go, girl. And you see them. They're the ones with their foreheads all wrinkled up. They're just, I'm going along with Jesus. That looks painful. I do not understand some of this stuff. It is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. He learned that God's strength was only perfected in his weakness. Only when we have come to the extremity of our life where we have no human solutions can God invade the scene and do what only he can do. You know what? And I can teach this till I'm blue in the face. And until you experience it, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You don't. You have no idea. What, you know, you know, it goes back. I try to explain to people. People say, well, how did you know you were called? Well, I got saved. Well, I mean, how, no. How did, how did you know you were called to the pulpit? I never did. I remember when the elders of the church came to me and they said, you know, uh, our pastor had left and they said, can, uh, what are you studying? At that time I studied in first Peter and they said, can you just give us a message till we find a pastor? All right. And I wish they'd hurry up and find somebody. <laughs> but anyway, that's another story. I have no business with this. And yet I have talked, I have spoken, in. Fr- I hate crowds. You know, everybody says, well, the church doesn't grow. God knows I can't handle it. I don't want a whole bunch of people out there looking at me. Well, I don't. And, and you know, well, that's crazy. But you know what? He has always, I've, I've spoken in the largest church in Moscow, Russia. I've spoken in a large church in St. Petersburg. Russia. I, I spoke on the south steps of the Temple Mound. I spoke in the synagogue across the street from Peter's house in Capernaum. So what? It just proves God's a jokester. No, <laughs> he got humor. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay. 
And I, I spoke in front of Dr. MacArthur's church. And all those times that there was a large groups, God made it so that the lights were hitting me right in the eyes and I could see the first row. And it always looked like my church. Just 30 people. <laughs> Piece of cake. <laughs> and in Moscow, these big old bright lights. I mean, you felt like a movie star or something. Then look, 30 people. And then all of a sudden, you back away from it and you look and you've got three balconies and it's full and they're, oh, they're behind you and everything. And you're like, oh my goodness. Okay, because if I do that, I'd fall over. Listen. When we understand that in our weakness is where God is strong, then He will do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you could ever think or imagine. But before that point, you're going to touch the glory. Well, He's a very articulate speaker. So was Adolf Hitler. Uh, I'm not impressed with good speakers. See, when you get to the extremity of your life and you got no resources left, guess what? He gains all the glory. He gains all the glory. I think it was Lenski said that he makes beauty out of the darkness. The psalmist deals with this all the time. You see it in 42 and 43 of the book of Psalms. And he says, why do you despair, oh, my soul? You ever been there? Oh, I can't stand it. God, no person can take this. And God says, you're right. So when will you trust me? That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get to. He's, he's telling you and I, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. When Jesus was about to read, leave, you can go back through it in the Upper Room Discourse, John 13 through 17. Excuse me. Was about to leave Jesus, who had been the comforter of the disciples. I mean, let's be realistic. He was. Peter was invincible if, Peter, if Jesus was within arm's length away. He was. Go look at him. He was, he's the one that walked right into the, the whole cohort that was getting ready to arrest Jesus, had his little sword out, cut off Malchus' servant's ear. Why? Because Jesus is right there. He can raise me from the dead. Because <laughs> these guys are about to slaughter me. Am I right? But when you separated him from Jesus, he denied him three times. And But yet he told them. He was their comfort. He was there. How are we going to feed all these people, Lord? Oh, Lord, the waves are crashing over the bow of the boat. We're all going to drown and you're just taking a nap. But he comforted him. Told the Steve to be stopped. Here, give thanks. Eat. He told him he would send him a comforter. Have you ever thought about it? He comes into Bethsaida. Not Bethsaida. Bethany. Okay? Just before he enters into Jerusalem that final week. And do you understand what's going on? Mary and Martha standing there weeping like babies. Why? Lord, if you'd have been here quicker, Lazarus, our brother, wouldn't have died. 
It says Jesus wept. Why? And then he comforted these two women. These two women grieving over the loss of their brother. Lazarus, come forth. Tell me he wasn't a comforter? In the midst of suffering, he gave them strength. He told his disciples the night he was arrested. Hey, listen, I'm out of here tonight. This is paraphrased. I'm out of here tonight. They're going to arrest me. You guys are going to vanish and you're going to scatter. He says, but don't worry, I'm sending you a comforter. He said, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will not make you in a place of comfortless. You will have strength. You will have boldness. You will have bravery. It will be there. See, God is the comforter. Christ, God incarnate is our comforter. And then we have the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, who is our comforter. He is our counselor. He is our all in all. Paul sums up the comfort of the Trinity in just this verse. You know what? Hey! The Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. You're covered. You don't have to worry about it. See, Paul understood it. Paul said, you know what? In my weakness, I am strong. Why would he tell you all authority has been given to you, me in heaven and earth? Why would he tell you that? Because you needed to understand where the power source was going to come from. All right. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. Paul understood that. Why? Do you understand? I can't even grasp it. I look at Paul as a man without a people. When he stepped out of the Pharisees, the Jews hated him, wanted him dead. All right, so he decides he's going to be a Christian. And the Christian says, this dude has racked up a whole bunch of our brothers and sisters in arrests and murders and, and all this other stuff. He was actually on his way to Damascus to arrest a bunch of us. So who's going to trust this guy? That's why God said, go up. Guess what? I got I, this is a plan. You're headed for the Gentiles. They'd already showed Peter. That the Gentiles will be reached with Cornelius' house. Paul understood this when he says this statement in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The issue is you keep thinking you're going to do it. And what he's telling you is you can't. He will. See, he understands that the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling the Christian in the presence of Christ with the intercession of Christ in the presence of God will embolden us. It will make us brave. It will make us strong. It will comfort us. And you know what is amazing here? Paul says, hey, I thank God for that. You know, he is thanking the Lord in two different ways here. One you see in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can stop right there. He says, I speak well of that. But if I look at the rest of this letter, 
He is thanking the body of Christ for the comfort that God is giving to him through them. We were comforted by Titus in Macedonia. You know what that is, right? It wasn't that Titus is this great comforter. It was Titus had submitted to the Lord in weakness to be a vessel for God to comfort the saints of God. The body of Christ should be of great comfort to the Christians. We should be able to strengthen in the body of Christ. We should be brave in the body of Christ. There should be a boldness in us because of the body of Christ. And that's what he's telling the Thessalonians. And he expresses his pain. It's personal in this letter. Chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 11 gives a detail. And chapter 12. In the midst of all this pain, I praise God and I'm thanking you. See... There were people in the church in Corinth, as in Job's life, as in our lives today, who basically believe that if you've got bad things happening to you, then you're being punished. God's mad. God's mad at you. Nah, 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 nah. You know, if you just repent, you wouldn't be sick. You wouldn't be ill. You wouldn't be weak. You wouldn't be this. And <laughs> Paul knew what they were trying to say. And he said, <laughs> but see, Paul was smart enough. If you hang out three years in the desert with Jesus, you get some insight. Right? He knew that Jesus had said, hey, if they hate me, you get put on the hate list. They'll hate you. Paul knew that if they rejected Christ, they would reject him. Why don't we know that today? I don't understand why the body of Christ does not know that today. The gospel is, I don't know what we've done with the gospel. You proclaim the gospel, you get one of two responses. They either hate you or want what you got. And that has never changed. I don't understand that. Well, I'm I'm, going to think about it. Well, then you did something wrong. See, listen, here's a verse that you and I miss sometimes. And we don't think about it. The servant is not above his master. Listen, if they carried our king out on a cross, how are you going? Because a disciple is a follower. See, Paul says, you look at my credentials in the suffering for the cause of Christ. You know, I've had some accusations thrown at me in the past. Uh, some, some, some dandies, actually. And, and and I had uh, this big old onslaught of people. It's been a few years ago. Decided they would get me thrown out because it's obvious that I wasn't doing what God said. And so when they came in and and they wanted to badger me about this and badger me about this, and badger, I said, "Of course, the accusers don't show up. That's expected." But I, I said, "Just compare the fruit." Well, aren't you going to defend yourself? No, I don't have to. My fruit against my accuser's fruit. That's, that's all I, you know. Oh, I just can't believe it. They all got in a huff and left. See, Paul understands that in this, 
and sharing of his afflictions and sharing of his heart as a man for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He understands it's not self-promotion. We have a thing that I have seen and experienced and and, and I believe is still alive and well and flourishing, what I call martyrdom. Um, People go through a whole bunch of junk like it, it makes them spiritual giants or something, you know. And I mean, it, golly, you wouldn't believe some of this stuff. Okay, but they, they think that because of all of this bad in my life, uh, you know, that makes me whatever. Listen, sometimes it's just God trying to get your undivided attention. I, I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, there's sometimes God will crush you so that you will be weak and you keep stiffening your neck to it. He'll just keep beating on you. Why? Because you can either go and say in my weakness because I really don't have anything to bring to this game or he can prove to you that you don't have anything to bring to this game. And I don't understand some of this. But I've seen it. And and Paul's not doing it based on that. This is not a a personal affirming of his apostleship. Uh, In this whole letter, he's saying, listen, you are my fruit. There's no such thing as a church in Corinth had I not been submitted to the will of Christ. He's not doing it through the academics. He's not doing it through a theological. He's just doing it from his heart. He says, this is my heart set apart as a servant to the Lord. See, even in this heartache that he's dealing with, this body of believers, he's rejoicing. He's rejoicing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father of all mercies. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in every affliction. That's what he's saying. Why? No matter how weak he has become, it is to that extent that the power of God is revealed through him. That's an odd illustration, isn't it? The weaker I become, the greater the power of God. Yeah, most people in the body of Christ today think, well, if I go to Bible college, if I go to, what do they call it, seminary, uh, I get my under, under, whatever, undergraduate or doctorates and give me a TV show and write a book. We're in it. No. Paul understood that no matter what the degree of the suffering that he was enduring, no matter what the degree of affliction or trial or heartache that he was dealing with, to that degree, the comfort of God was there. Strength. Strength. See, Paul had this interesting idea that had been revealed to him And he had experienced, and this is what it was, that his suffering, okay, his suffering is part of the equipping of him for ministry. It's 
interesting thought, isn't it? See, his suffering was enabling him to comfort others and to express the power of God. And yet the group of false had come into the church and there was like a, a mutiny today. If I can attack that messenger, then I can destroy his message and then I can sow the lie. And I, and I can throw a rebellion in against truth. Okay, and, and Paul calls them, and you get in trouble for this. Paul calls them representatives of Satan. Walk out and do that once. Okay, he says they are disguised as angels of light. Why? Because we attacked Paul. We attacked the the the, the voice of God speaking forth. He, but he's lying. He, I, we think he's an embezzler. He's doing it for the cash. Did he come down and ask you for money for Jerusalem? I, I think he's doing it for immoral reasons. I think he sells a doctrine of grace here because, you know, these women burdened down with sin, you know, they'll help him out. See, to teach error, you have to destroy truth. And destroying truth is a little difficult these days. Is it really? Just turn the news on. I mean, everybody's got, I don't know, I never heard. You, you know you're in trouble when politicians who are noted for their lying says we're going to give it a spin. Good Lord, what does that mean? You keep spinning it enough, you could land on truth. But, but, but see, that, that's the thing that I, I struggle with in our society today. Everything is fun. I mean, you can read something and you can get 28 different opinions out of the same text and none of them would be right. That's why when I go to a Bible study or involved in a, a Bible study and I hear somebody says, well, I think it, I leave. Okay, I, got, I don't care what you think. I, I love you all. I care what God thinks. And, and I got in trouble in our denomination. Last time they asked me to speak publicly, I told them I did not believe in multiple interpretations of Scripture. I said, I believe in multiple applications. And they, boy, they pitched a fit. You'd have thought I'd have. Well, you can't be that sure about the interpretation of Scripture. Really? Maybe you ought to get in her job. Because <laughs> I've seen people say, well, you know, I'm going to send, uh, I've got a marriage crisis in my church. And I'm going to send them to professionals. And I smile at them and say, do they pay you? He said, yep. I says, then you're a professional. And you have the book that invented marriage. I suggest you get ready for your job. I don't understand. That is the silliest thing I ever heard in my life. They had spun and they're trying to destroy Paul. Now, what is cool is we, <clears throat> we have a letter missing, right? Okay, which is actually, here he goes. Still going to be goofy now, which would have been 3 Corinthians. Okay, the severe letter. Okay, was not a God-inspired letter. But do you know what happened out of 3 Corinthians? 
the third letter to the Corinthians, there was repentance and affirming of the Corinthians for their love for the Apostle Paul. And it was not a God-breathed letter, but it was severe. In response to that, he writes 2 Corinthians. Why? He wants to thank them and affirm them for their repentance, but also he knows that there's this line of mutiny in his this group that he has to still deal with. The leaven doesn't leave. Many had repented. They had turned. But the mutiny hadn't gone away. The defection, the division, the schisms hadn't gone away. And he says, God comes to me in not in chastening, but he comes to me in comfort. He says, you know what? Your repentance, your affirming of my love and your love for me is comforting. Titus's words that he brought back from Corinth were comforting. But it was through God. Paul understood that his suffering, his afflictions, his pain was to enable Paul to have a greater ministry. He understood that. He understood that it was to make him more powerful. Why? In your weakness, God is powerful. See, that's the promise of comfort that you see there in 4A. Who is it offered to? Who is it offered to? All of us. And yet I watch Christians run around chasing comfort. And I'm talking about the pillows at the Hampton Inn bed thing. And that ain't what he's offering. He's saying, I will give you strength to go through this. Lo, I am with you. Always, even to the end of the age. That's what he's saying. Now, I need to build this because you need to understand. The God of all comfort, did you know this? Never, ever fails. How cool is that? It is his nature to comfort us. It is his promise to comfort us. I will not leave you. All right. I want everybody to turn to the book of Romans chapter 8. We'll pick it up in verse 31. Because I want you to think about this in light of comfort. You are being comforted. You are being strengthened through whatever the affliction is. Now look what he says here. Verse 31, chapter 8. And we all say this. We love to say this, when, especially when we're doing good and we're helping someone who isn't. Okay? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Ta-da! And it's true. Uh, Hope you feel better. Catch you later. Bye. Okay? But I want you to look at why he bases this on. He who did not spare his own son. Did you get that? He didn't spare his own son. Oh, all right. That's the cross and buy my out of my sins. All right. But delivered him over for who? I thought it said most Christians. 
No, for us all, how will he not also with him what? Now, you got to get a hold of this and digest this. This is a big, long preaching thing here, but I'm going to give you just highlights of it and you go with it. Let me tell you something. Is there any gift on the planet Earth in the existence of creation greater than the Son of God? And He gave it how? Chris, through crucifixion, freely through crucifixion. He freely gave it to you, right? Then do you really think He's going to mind the nickels and dimes of comfort? That's what Paul says there in 8. I mean, if he only gave his son, delivered him over freely for your sins, what's so big about comfort? (laughs) I mean, that's... He's already made the ultimate supreme sacrifice. He's already given us the greatest gift in existence, His Son. He surely is willing to make a lesser offering for our strengthening, our courage, our boldness. I mean, (laughs) who will bring a charge against God's elect? And we're worried about being comforted. And he's saying, who can even bring a charge? God is the one who justifies. He's already died on your stead. (laughs) Who can bring the charge? Who can condemn? There's one, Christ Jesus. Oh, did I tell you? He died for you. I'm thinking he ain't going to condemn you. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, and who what? He intercedes for us. It's funny because people say, Terry, will you pray for me? (laughs) Why? Christ is praying for you. I've got a few sons I'll give. No, never mind. But (laughs) do you understand what I'm trying to get at? The ultimate has been given. And yes, I will pray for you. I'll never stop until I leave here. And then after that, I'll let him. But anyway, do you understand that? You sit around, we sit around worrying about comfort. And he says, you know what? I've already given you my son. There's nothing can bring a charge against you. Who can condemn you? No one, because Christ has already taken care of it. He's at the right hand of God interceding. Look at verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril? Sword? For your sake, we're being put to death all day long. We're considered a sheep to slaughter. Do you understand because of his son... We 
in all things are overwhelmingly conquerors to him who loved us? Now I'm going to ask you a simple question. Do you live that way? Overwhelming conquerors. For I am convinced, verse 38, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. I got to ask you a simple question right now. Are you comforted? And I don't mean are you at ease. Do you have strength, boldness, courage? Because there isn't a created thing that is able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You know what that means, right? The only thing that can separate you from the love of God has never been created. (laughs) Is that a double negative? No, I think it's a double positive. (laughs) No created thing. See, that's why Paul is writing this out of Revelation, because that is his experience. Nothing can stop me. See, Paul knew that his suffering, this affliction, the word is Philippus. In the Greek, and it literally means a pressure. Okay, there was pressure from the outside, there's pressure on the inside. And he says, all of the pressure, I don't care what the pressure is, guess what? No effect. And actually, the greater the pressure, the greater the power of God is released. That's right, if you remember, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, no temptation has saved you, no trial has Sees you, except that it is common to man. So you ain't under anything that no man ain't ever been under. But God is faithful. He'll provide you a way to stand or a way of escape. Do you understand that? See, Paul understood this. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, He who began a good work, yeah, we'll see it through to a perfection, it says. See, all of this suffering, all this heartache, they were trying to stop Paul's life. They want, the word philipsis is, is pressure um, means to restrict, to confine. They wanted to conf- restrict and confine Paul's ministry. See, no, and he's saying no matter what it is, I don't care what it is, in my weakness... He is strong. See, Paul understood. He was indestructible. Indestructible. Chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. They plotted to kill him. Why? Because he converted. The Jews started in chapter 9 of Acts. They wanted to kill him. Seize him and kill him. Chapter 14, still trying. Okay? They had taken him out and stoned him. Throwed him on a dump. Chapter 16 of Acts. They put him in stocks in a, in a Philippian jail. That was so hilarious. The Philippian jailer and his whole family got saved. That worked well. But I bet you can't get anybody to say, well, we're going to go have an evangelistic revival. We're all going to get our butts thrown in jail. Oh, yeah? Go ahead. 
Chapter 27, he was shipwrecked and everybody feared that they would all drown. And Paul said, nope, God has a plan for me and all will survive. Guess what? Paul's right. See, Paul understood. He, he was indestructible in the purpose and the plan of God. As long as God wanted him to serve and to preach, nothing was going to stop the Apostle Paul. Impossible. That is comfort. Paul had confidence that God would strengthen him fully, completely. Not only did he have the confidence in the revelation of what God had called him to, he literally had experienced it. He had experienced God's glory. He had experienced God's power. And he always experienced it when? In his weakness. You ask yourself a simple question. When do you pray the most? When things are going good or things are going bad? Paul sought that the believers in Corinth would get a hold of this. I seek this. That the believers would get a hold of this. Paul wanted this for every Christian. This promise to all Christians of comfort. God with us. As long as we are serving Him, He is faithfully sustaining and strengthening every single one of us. That's what Paul's telling us. It's the promise of comfort. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Father, thank You for Your strength. Thank You for comfort. Father, thank You that for such a day as this that we are here Father, I pray for these precious people. They bow their knees before you in humility. And say, here I am, Lord, send me. And that, Father, each of us would take up the mantle that the Apostle Paul shows us. And, Father, we'd walk in a manner worthy. Father, not in our strength, not in our planning, not in our abilities or our talents, but, Father, that we would walk in the power of the risen King. To your glory and praise. Amen.